This is the All Pro Wrestling 100 Podcast for December 1st, 2020. This podcast is all pro wrestling and only pro wrestling. Tonight we've got a Monday Night Raw review, followed by a little bit of news with some NXT versus AEW Thanksgiving Week ratings, and I'll shoot on Tony Schiavone's podcast a little bit. So we got a lot to get to. Let's get right to it. Monday Night Raw kicking off with a moment of bliss, because... The best way to start any three-hour wrestling program is with a possessed schoolgirl interviewing somebody. Alexa Bliss interviewing Randy Orton. Randy answering back for the Fiend's run-in in his match last week. Randy insinuates that he'll kidnap Alexa to bother the Fiend. The lights go out and lights come back on and Randy has Alexa up in his arms. And the Fiend has a concerned look. This is a great story. As we covered last week, I love the possessed schoolgirl gimmick, so... Anything Alexa Bliss does is fine with me. Randy Orton and The Fiend are both All Pro Wrestling 100's 2020 Most Valuable Pro Wrestlers. You can check that out on our special segment that dropped yesterday. This feud should have been for the world title, but you can't get everything right. Yeah, uh, this was for a world title in the past, and it would have been great if they did it for the world title now that The Fiend is this new character, and he could have flashbacks to Randy versus... Bray Wyatt after they were tag champions on SmackDown. This is a forgotten uh, era in both of their careers. Would have been great to have, you know, addressed it for the world title, but WWE has other plans for the world title right now. So moving on, we get to see the end of the Elias and Jeff Hardy feud. I love that because I am over Elias, and I think that Jeff Hardy's a great talent. Everybody wants to see this end. Jeff Hardy's a great talent. He can make anybody look good, so why waste that on Elias, right? This ends. This is a no DQ, and it's got a collection of musical instruments all around the ring. We're calling this the Destruction Symphony? Symphony of Destruction? I, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, who cares, really? Uh, Elias electrocutes himself at one point in the match and allows Jeff Hardy to hit one of the most dangerous swanton bombs of his career, I'm watching Jeff climb to the top and then put one foot out on the post. And below him are the ring steps. And I'm thinking, he's got ring steps. And then he's got about two feet till he hit the barricade. And on that two feet, he's got a table with Elias. I'm thinking he's going to hit his head on the steps. Either he hits his tailbone on the barricade or he hits his head on the steps. And you know what he did? He hit his head on the steps and it was terrible. He hits his head on the steps, and I'm thinking, that's awful. And I go online to make sure he's still alive, and he is, but he did address it. He says he's okay, and it wasn't as bad as it looked. Now, Jeff, it was absolutely as bad as it looked. Luckily for everybody involved, Jeff won't have to hit his head on some steps putting Elias through a table anymore. It'll just be somebody else next time. Uh, Slapjack fought next with Ali Mustafa or however they're pronouncing Mustafa now. It's got a different enunciation. And I'm not going to learn it, because this is the third different name Ali has had in about 18 months, and I'm not interested in whatever his newest gimmick is. Slapjack's taken on Ricochet. Slapjack wins via distractions from Retribution and a really cool move that I would have loved to have had a name for, but Michael Cole didn't know the name. So the move just goes by uncalled. It was a great move. I wish I could have known the name, but Michael Cole. See, Michael Cole's sitting there. Michael Cole didn't know the name of the move, see? So so he didn't call it. Yeah. Moving on, we've got Miz TV. For those of you keeping track at home, we've had two matches. And now this is our second in-ring interview segment. 
And and there is no possessed schoolgirl this time, so I'm not sure what the point even is. Miz and John Morrison, they're going to interview Seamus. Seamus comes out in his Gangs of New York outfit. He's doing cosplay still, and he looks as if he's about to get down to the five points and shiv somebody. So Seamus comes out. He gets mad that the Miz points out that he hasn't, quote, tasted a world title in five years, unquote. The Miz is committed to giving Morrison his first title shot after he cashes in money in the bank. So I expect that this will be the breakup of their relationship and tag team. Uh, he'll screw Morrison over and end up either not giving him the shot or cheating to screw Morrison out of the title. And then they'll have a feud that isn't for the title because Vince will never allow them to feud for the world title. But I expect Miz will cash in and become world champion. And I expect he'll screw Morrison out of his shot because they hate Johnny Nitro. But I would love to see Johnny Raw holding the world title. He is the best in-ring performer they have right now on Raw. Seriously, this guy can do some acrobatic stuff. He's six foot three. He's got the look. I guess he's too good. Yeah, Vince can't like the fact that he went out and won world titles literally all over the world after leaving WWE, so now we gotta bury him. It's unfortunate. It's the way they do business. Moving on, Lana and Asuka fight the Raw Women's Tag Team Champions for the second time in two weeks, and again, it's non-title, and I'm just so tired of non-title matches. This company just keeps dropping the ball with these non-title matches. If you're keeping track at home, that's three non-title matches in an episode and a half of WWE programming. Not good. It's another win for Lana. Lana gets to win meaningless matches in exchange for being embarrassed, humiliated, having them break up her marriage, making her look like kind of a whore, and then putting her through nine tables in nine weeks. So she gets to win two meaningless matches in exchange for all that. That's wonderful. Oh, good for you! Yeah, good for her, right? Good for Lana. Next up, we got the New Day cutting a promo on the Hurt Business, which leads to a match between Cedric Alexander and Xavier Woods, which I don't care about because I want to see the Hurt Business win the tag titles from the New Day. So Cedric Alexander wins. That's wonderful, so long as it leads to a situation where the Hurt Business beat the New Day and win the tag titles. No more non-title matches. No more singles members of tag teams. If this is a real feud, let's get to TLC. Let's give the Hurt Business the tag titles, if for no other reason than you can put the New Day over later and make them the, a 19-time tag champion or whatever they're up to now. But you can't continue to make stables and then bury them to the guys that are already on top, like you've done with Retribution and a number of other false starts that you guys have had over the last few years. Come on, WWE. Come on, WWE. Figure this out. Everybody wants you to figure this out. Come on. Riddle continues to walk around in the backstage area on Monday Night Raw promoting his personality multiple times per night, three, four times a night, and not counting his ring time. But I gotta say... It's starting to wear on me. I'm starting to like Matt Riddle. I, I know I've buried him a lot over here, but I'm starting to like Matt Riddle. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm going to assume this applause is for me and not for Matt Riddle because I've proven I can be open-minded. Look how abruptly that applause ended. Do you like that? Nothing like a smooth production. So Matt Riddle, he wants to make donuts with Dunkin' Donuts, and he wants to open a business where he and his friends will come smoke all your pot, and then they'll eat all your food. Or maybe they'll bring you food. Listen, I'm not entirely sure, but uh, I'll tell you who doesn't like it is MVP. MVP from the Hurt Business, he's not a big fan of all of these shenanigans, but while Matt Riddle's walking around promoting his personality backstage, it seems he came up with a great idea. He's going to offset that sexual harassment allegation that a woman levied against him back in June by choosing to sexually harass AJ Styles here on TV. So 
yeah, he's uh, sexually harassing AJ Styles, and AJ Styles pushes him and says, hey, you don't tell me I'm cute. I'm going to see you later in the ring. And then they do this maybe uh, playful flirting thing, like you see in grade school, where, you know, they tug on the hair of each other, and then they go in the ring and fight in a triple threat with Keith Lee. It's just like grade school, trust me. Anyway, uh, triple threat for the number one contender shot comes up. It's Keith Lee versus Riddle versus AJ Styles. Or as I like to say it, it's AJ versus two guys that don't yet deserve a title shot, and AJ wins, which is exactly how this was supposed to work out. Sorry if some of you don't like that, but AJ Styles is the only guy in this... Uh, come on now. He's the only guy in this match that deserves a title shot. I don't want to live in a world where Keith Lee shows up here. He wins like eight matches in a row, and then he gets a title shot. Nah, hey, come on. Oh, nobody wants to talk bad about Keith Lee. Nobody wants to talk bad about anyone that comes up from NXT. I'm so over it. Listen, NXT is the D-League. You gotta let it go. Moving on, AJ Styles hits a flying forearm to pin Riddle. Get the win. So it'll be AJ versus Drew McIntyre at TLC for now for the WWE title for now. Again, nothing's written in stone so long as the ratings continue to freefall, folks. For some reason, after we have a triple threat with the number one contender who's the best wrestler in the world coming over, we're going to follow that with Dana Brooks and Mia Yim. Or is it Dana Brooks versus Jade? Or was it Dana Brooks versus Reckoning? I'm not sure. This This poor woman has had so many identities that she needs a therapist to diagnose her at this point. Uh, Two weeks ago, Nia Jax prevented Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke from going to Survivor Series. That was the story we were given. More like an explanation than a story. Now the WWE has actually created a real story, and they're claiming that Retribution ended Dana, and they kind of glossed over whatever happened to Mandy, and they filmed this 10-second promo where Mia Yim is beating up Dana in the back. Now, she was Mia Yim just a couple of weeks ago. Am I the only one that didn't see there was a name change? Or did they just slip the name change in here during Raw? I don't know. But either way, she's reckoning now. The WWE has created a time machine. I don't know if anybody caught that, but that's what's happened here. They created a time machine, and they've went back in time, and they've taken some heat off Nia Jax, and I'm fine with it. Because I'm tired of Nia Jax getting blamed for every injury that happens to every woman in pro wrestling just because she's Nia Jax. So as long as we're going to take some heat off Nia, I'm fine with them creating a time machine and retroactively rewriting history. Dana wins this match via pinfall with a roll-up, and that's the third roll-up in less than five hours of programming on the WWE. Just keeping track with SmackDown and and Raw. Three roll-up pins in less than two episodes. So we're going backstage now. Miz and Morrison bring AJ Styles a peach pie as a bribe to help them with Drew McIntyre later in the night. And it works, because AJ's from Georgia and he likes peach pie. And it takes us to the main event where Miz and Morrison are going to fight against Drew McIntyre and Sheamus. AJ Styles coming out on commentary. And this is one of those rare, meaningless tag matches that I actually care about. I am so tired of Raw being a three-week promo for the next pay-per-view. All three Raws do nothing but promote the next pay-per-view. They're filled with non-title matches, but then the main event isn't one of these awesome matches that should be for a belt but isn't, or even a number one contender match. It's some tag match with tag teams we don't normally see together where they somehow have a screw job finish that promotes the pay-per-view. You know what? That doesn't promote anything except the fact that your writing sucks. That's what that promotes. But tonight I cared because there's money in the bank involved. Now, I cared about this match despite the fact that they have written The Miz in to be completely inept at learning how to cash in the money in the bank. 
this guy has threatened to cash in so many times and he spends so much time groping the referee that I'm pretty sure the referee spends, you know, the next two hours complaining to human resources afterwards. And somebody should walk up to Miz and show him some tapes and say, this is how you're supposed to cash in. But no, the storyline is that the Miz is all awkward. And I guess we have to slow it down and dumb it down for every fan that might not see what's about to happen so that Michael Cole or whoever's on commentary can tell us 15 times, the Miz may cash in. He just looks stupid and inept. But this tag match I cared about because there was a briefcase outside right? This was a really exciting match before they did the screw job finish, which I'll get to in a moment, but Sheamus, starting to tell the story, Sheamus wants a tag as Drew McIntyre looks as if he's about to win the match on The Miz, and Drew agrees to give him the tag, but right as Drew gets there, Morrison pulls Sheamus off the apron, he posts him, and then he throws him into the LCD crowd, which we don't see a whole lot of people going into the LCD crowd during a match, and it was funny because one of the people in the LCD crowd, you know, they don't like Sheamus, they all used to chant, you look stupid at him. We're supposed to forget now that they used to chant, you look stupid at Sheamus because no one's in the actual crowd. But those LCD screens, you know they were chanting, you look stupid. And Vince just muted them all. He had somebody backstage going, mute that guy, mute that guy. So anyway, they dump Sheamus into the LCD crowd. And one of the LCD crowd screens tries to pour his beer on Sheamus. Yeah, but the beer just, it goes all over the guy's living room floor. So then you see him, he like throws the cup up and he shrugs and he's looking up at the ceiling screaming because, you know. You know, because the beer's all over his own floor. That's why. Do you get it? You get it? Yeah. Because the beer's on his own floor, because he's just an LCD screen, because it's not really a crowd, because if it was a crowd, they would chant, you look stupid. Anyway, AJ inexplicably hits a flying elbow on, on Drew, and they call it a disqualification. But the story is that AJ wants Miz to cash in. AJ, of course, forgetting that The Miz is the most inept man ever to hold the money in the bank at cashing in. So The Miz physically fails at cashing in in time. Drew McIntyre gets up, makes The Miz look silly, and then AJ gets carried off by his bodyguard, screaming, You're lucky my bodyguard just saved you. I'm going to see you soon. So for those of you not distracted, who are able to view the forest and not get distracted by the one large stupid tree, this was a non-finish on Raw. We had another no-finish. Another screw job finish on Monday Night Raw for those of you keeping track at home. Yeah, yeah, that's a big fail right there. But we're going to move on. A little bit of news. Post-Raw recap news. The WWE's D-League NXT went head-to-head with AEW Thanksgiving week. It was too close to call. Some people out there that don't understand the significance of statistics are going to tell you that NXT won by 2,000. But these are estimates, folks. They don't really have accurate numbers of who all is seeing these programs. It was 712,000 to 710,000. Brian Alvarez reported for us. For those of you that can do the math or can't do the math, that's less than one-third of one percent. It's too close to call. I think if you're listening to me right now and you chose to watch NXT over AEW, you should be ashamed of yourself. Moving on, time for me to shoot on Tony Schiavone. What Happened When has been on for three years. It's a podcast with Conrad Thompson and Tony Schiavone. They're in their fourth season. They've done 203 episodes, not counting specials and live shows. So they're approaching 300 total shows. And I was convinced they were going to announce this week that they're calling it quits. But that was just wishful thinking. They've announced that instead they're going to switch to a format where all they cover for the final year of their Westwood One contract is the 1986 season of Jim Crockett Promotions uh, and World Championship Wrestling on Saturday nights. So, all of 1986 
continuing to probably try to crowbar in promotion of AEW guys, and it doesn't require Tony to actually learn anything about the wrestling product. So, listen, I want to preface this by saying that I grew up with Tony Schiavone, okay? And in my world, everybody talks about the Mount Rushmore of this or that or the other, and a lot of people talk about the Mount Rushmore of wrestling commentary. And on my Mount Rushmore, I have Gordon Soley and I have Jim Ross and I have Tony Schiavone, and I don't have a fourth guy. And if I had a fourth guy, it'd be Bob Cottle, but I was almost too young for that. And that's, that's watching a lot of stuff on YouTube and being an historian, but I didn't grow up with that. I grew up with Tony Schiavone, and I grew up during an era where Tony Schiavone cared about professional wrestling, so it was very easy to attribute him to very happy memories I had watching pro wrestling as a kid, but that Tony Schiavone doesn't exist anymore. And you can go take seven or eight years of sociology and psychology and neuroscience, and you can go learn why people change. And you can go ask yourself the philosophy of what it means to be a friend and what it means to have a personality and who you are as a human being. And these are complicated questions. We evolve. Our interests change. Uh, simply put, or as simply as it can be put, the variables that we attribute importance to become greater in number as we get older, and it becomes more complicated to describe who we actually are. So, I'll dumb it down for you. As somebody who's been listening to 200 episodes of Tony Schiavone over the last three years, I can't speak to who he was. I really enjoyed him for the hour or two hours a week I got to hear him back when I was a kid. But who he is now, I've spent enough hours listening to to tell you that he's a real ass. That's who he is now. And if you want to know him, you can listen to his show, because one of the ways the show has changed over the years is, is there's less of the act and the pretend Tony Schiavone and more of the real Tony Schiavone. There's less uh, kissing people's asses and telling people what they want to hear, and there's more breaking promises to your friends and breaking promises to fans and making light of it and making spiteful comments about it and refusing to engage with the product that's literally made you a millionaire refusing to do any homework for these things that people spend so much money on. And, you know, at some point, we'll go through all of the broken promises Tony Schiavone has made. I've talked about this on my review of the 2020 podcast landscape, posted it a couple of weeks ago. You can go listen to some of my opinions about what happened when and who Tony Schiavone has become. But Tony Schiavone has a job with AEW now that has made him a millionaire from pro wrestling. It is the biggest uh, per-year contract he's gotten in pro wrestling, and it happened at this late stage of his life, and he owes it all to a podcast, and he owes it all to the people that paid for t-shirts and downloaded and subscribed and came to events, and he has absolutely no appreciation for it whatsoever. He can't even learn to Matt Hardy's moves when Hardy comes over to AEW and this job that is making him a millionaire he can't even learn the moves so that he can put over the guys that they've spent all this money on big contracts for. Getting Matt Hardy was a big deal. They wanted to build him up, and instead of learning Twist of Fate, he calls it some kind of modified stunner. You've got Excalibur next to you, moron. Keep your mouth shut if you can't say anything that will help this company. Otherwise, just keep doing what you do and saying, that's absolutely right, Jim, and defer to Jim Ross and Excalibur. Aside from all of this... There's his wife and her politics. I'm not going to get on my podcast and run down somebody else's spouse. But the fact that I know anything about Lois Shivani and her politics means somebody dropped the ball over on what happened when. Okay, I don't need, this isn't Big Brother. 
I don't need a camera inside of the house where Tony Schiavone lives to see every aspect of his life, to hear him break down pro wrestling shows, and I shouldn't know anything about his wife's politics or how she feels about the election. But the fact is, Tony Schiavone's wife's never held a job, and she sits around trolling people on Facebook 12 hours a day, and she should be ashamed of herself, and she's not the kind of person I would ever spend time with. So I shouldn't have to know anything about that in order to listen to a pro wrestling podcast and try to gain knowledge about something I care about. So I was really hoping that they were going to announce their retirement and that Tony didn't have time to do this anymore. And that he would one more time just kind of bury the whole podcast scene before he rode off into the sunset. But no, Conrad has found a way to only confront Tony with things that Tony can be an expert on, and that's things nobody else knows anything about because there's nobody alive to talk about them anymore. Tony will talk about 1986 and the year that was in pro wrestling that wasn't the WWE. It's a niche topic, and they're going to do 52 straight weeks of it. And they've been leading up to it now that I look at what they've been doing with Starcade 85 and all the events that surrounded it for a month now, because Tony has phoned it in on anything that he didn't want to talk about for the past six or seven months. Tony doesn't like ECW. Tony doesn't like rap music. Tony doesn't like pop music. Tony doesn't like current culture. Tony says he doesn't watch sports, and he hasn't watched them for years, and he repeated that in his most recent podcast from this week about how he doesn't watch sports of any kind anymore. Uh, By the way, keep in mind, Tony Schiavone works part-time calling the University of Georgia football. He also calls minor league baseball for the Braves affiliate. So he works minor league baseball, he works college football, and yet he doesn't watch sports, none of them, ever, on television. It's because he doesn't care. He has lost his passion for everything. Tony doesn't have sex with his wife anymore. He'll tell you that. He rarely has any sexual interaction with his wife. Tony doesn't watch porn. Tony doesn't want to get overstimulated. Tony has phoned it in on life, so we shouldn't expect any more out of his contributions to pro wrestling. So if you're watching AEW and you feel that the commentary is particularly weak, or if you're wondering why they stick Ricky Starks on commentary on Dark, and they continue to put up with Taz being so aggressive, it's because they can't get more out of Tony Schiavone, and even if they wanted to, it really wouldn't be worth getting out of him. So that's what we've got for you tonight. You make sure to send me your opinions, if you disagree or if you agree, at apw100podcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from all of you on anything controversial that you think is said here. But that brings us to the end of this program. We're going to bring you an Axis on Impact episode tomorrow, AEW Dynamite review on Thursday, SmackDown review on Saturday, special segment on Friday. This is your one daily podcast for pro wrestling news, rumors, recap, and history. Subscribe where you listen. 